Good morning. Happy Easter or Happy Resurrection Sunday. We've actually been talking about the resurrection for the past two weeks as we've been going through 1 Corinthians 15. Just to go back a little earlier in the chapter, the good news or the gospel as stated in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 to 4 is this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The resurrection of Jesus is essential to the gospel because without the resurrection, I have no way of really knowing that I've been saved from hell. Now to use a medical example, how do, you, how do I know if I've been cured of a disease? You know, let's say I have, a, I have a nasty blood infection and um, well, the doctor just prescribes me a course of antibiotics. And the doctor can say, well, just take these 10 pills and um, then you'll be cured. But how do I really know I'm cured? Now, a definitive test might be uh, to take some blood work and to see if my blood shows any signs at all of infection. And if I really am cured, then my blood work should show that I'm free of infection. Now, in regards to various diseases or like cancer, there's, there's some people who wait for weeks and weeks or months to find what their test results are. Are they cured? And sometimes the test result might be a little ambiguous. Maybe it's inconclusive. Maybe they need to take a retest. Or maybe multiple tests have to be done. But with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, for those of you who acknowledge that you're a hell-deserving sinner in need of a savior, the Lord's resurrection is an undisputed positive sign that your sins have been paid for 100%. You know, if, if Christ had not risen from the dead, I would have no certainty that my sins were fully paid for. As mentioned earlier in the chapter, this is verse 17 of chapter 15, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. But the resurrection of the Lord is my overwhelmingly positive sign that the penalty for my sins has been paid. And it's not only that the resurrection shows that our sins have been paid for. Today, today we're going to look at something else that goes along with that. Because the Lord has been resurrected, something else happens that we can take great encouragement from and comfort from today. Our own resurrection. So I'll ask you a few questions. Has anyone here ever felt weary and tired? Oh, I hear Gene chuckling there. Anyone had any um, aches and pains recently? Anyone been sick? Felt beaten up? Well, if you're a believer in the Lord today who has felt any of these health problems, I have good news for you. The Lord is going to give you a new body free of all those problems I mentioned. So we're going to continue on in um, 
chapter 15, looking at verses 35 to 49 today. 1 Corinthians. Now, just to put uh, our passage in context again, as David mentioned when he started this chapter off, there, there was some trouble going on in the Corinthian church. There were some people that were denying the resurrection and saying, well, no, there is no resurrection from the dead. So Paul actually quotes the words that a doubter of the resurrection might say, in, uh, starting at verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Now, just to paraphrase, really, if the resurrection is real, just how does it happen? I mean, what kind of body would be raised up? And these could appear to be, from uh, legitimate questions, from a practical point of view. Now, I've worked in healthcare for maybe 13, 14 years now you know, in the hospital, sometimes a nursing home, sometimes in people's homes. And um, I have never seen anyone raised from the dead. Now I have to say, I, mean, start, I volunteered in hospital starting when I was like 17 years old. And I remember taking bodies to the morgue sometimes. People had died from various injuries or diseases in the hospital. And you know, I've seen a um, number of um, relatives at funerals. I've seen deceased relatives in their bodies. And if I look at someone in the hospital who's recently died, I mean, there's always like a heart rate monitor next to them. Now, with a healthy heart rate, you see a little zigzag going up and down, EKG is called. But when a person dies, there is no up and down. It's just a flat line. So how does someone go from flatlining to having steady heartbeat. And even if the dead are raised, what kind of body do they come with? Now, with some of the people I see, some of the patients I work with over the week, um, they may not want to be raised up in the bodies they have. Let's say I'm a 99-year-old man who has rheumatoid arthritis, has gout, has diabetes, um, has spinal stenosis, I have heart failure, I have osteoporosis. Do I really want to be raised up in that same body again? That's why a skeptic would ask that second question, what kind of body are they raised with? And so in this passage, Paul goes into more detail about the resurrection of believers. Yes, the resurrection is real, and here is what happens. So going on to verse 36, Paul says, Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. So Paul is using an agricultural illustration here, planting seeds. And he says, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And similar to something that the Lord Jesus said um, toward the later days of his ministry, in uh, John chapter 12, verse 24, the Lord said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, 
it produces much grain. Now, I was, I, I was a biology major back in college, so when I first read verses like this, it was a little hard for me to understand, because I was thinking, well, seed is, doesn't actually die, and there's a little plant embryo inside that will eventually grow into a plant. But um, a seed does give up all it has and is in order to become a plant. What you see as a seed, the, little, the shell, well, that shell gets broken and cracked open for a plant to grow. A seed actually contains a lot of energy. That's why we eat them as food. But all that energy gets used up for a plant to be able to sprout. So in that sense, a seed really does die so a plant can grow. And so for us believers, it's necessary for our earthly bodies to die before we get what is termed here, the body that shall be. What you sow, that is the body that gets buried and put in the ground, is not the same as the body that you'll be resurrected with. The body you have now, your earthly body, is, as Paul puts it, it's mere grain. Uh, Luke, can you put up that uh, slide of a, yeah. That is a piece of grain. You know, it's really so insignificant, it's barely of notice, it would just blow away in the wind. Now, it's completely possible that the Lord Jesus will come back very soon and take us believers away before we get old and die. But if that does not happen, it will be necessary for our physical bodies we have right now to die before we can have our resurrected bodies. Now, the resurrected bodies that we're going to have as believers is nothing like the bodies we have now. Now, to show just dramatically different your resurrected body will be from the body you have now, Paul uses a number of physical examples to contrast the nature of the risen, resurrected body with the physical body we have right now. So just using this um, picture of a seed and a plant. Okay, well, so this is a piece of, this is, a, this is mere grain, and it grows into something else. Now just looking at the initial little bit of grain, well, you might think, that's it doesn't really look like the, the mature grain growing out of the ground. Uh, let's turn to the next seed, Luke, yeah. Okay, now this is a seed, it's a very strange looking seed. Does anyone know what it grows into? Sorry? Sunflower? Nope, not a sunflower. Weed. Sorry? Weed. A weed, it's actually not a weed. So um, you wouldn't know it, but this actually grows into a very nice looking tree. Uh, Luke, if you go to the next slide. It's called a sweet gum tree. But yeah, you, you would not know it just looking at that really weird looking seed we just had on the screen. Okay, uh, Luke, can you go to the next slide? Okay, so now we have this really tiny little seed that just fits on your index finger. So um, any guesses on what this grows into? Sorry? Oh, well, no, the, the seed on your finger. What, what does it, no, it doesn't grow into a finger, but what kind of plant could that be? Uh, a squash? Any other guesses? Mustard. Mustard? 
Mm, no, okay, I'll just show you what it grows into. It grows into a sequoia tree, over 100 feet tall. Yes, just from that little seed. But you know, just looking at that little seed, you would have no idea that that would come out from the ground. And that's how it's going to be with us believers when you compare our spiritual body to come with the body we have now. You can't really tell what it's going to look like in the future or what it's going to be like. So, in verse um, 38, uh, Paul says, But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Each seed creates its own different plant. And coming to us believers, you know, we're not all going to be identical in heaven. And just like we all have different appearances in this room, we're going to have different spiritual bodies. God will give you a body as he pleases. Now, I don't know if this will be like how it will be for us, but it seems like the Lord Jesus in his resurrected body, initially he looked, um, he was actually hard for the disciples to recognize at first. They weren't really sure he was a Lord. And yet, there were some of his um, features that carried over from his physical body into his resurrected body. He still had the scars in his hands and his feet from his crucifixion. He still had the scar in his side from where the spear pierced him. Now, Paul moves on from his illustration in agriculture to other things visible in nature. Looking at verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. Now you just look at the bodies of people versus various animals, fish and birds, and well, they're just built differently. They're composed differently. And the resurrected body would be made differently from the body you have now. In verse 40, Paul says, there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Now, there's a little debate on what is referred to with terrestrial and celestial bodies. It could be contrasting um, bodies in heaven versus bodies on earth, physical objects, or it could be talking perhaps about the bodies of people versus the bodies of angels. Either way, there's a huge difference. And going on to verse 41, there's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. Now, oh, you can show the slides, uh, Luke, of the stars and the sun and moon I had there. Now, Paul was not an astronomer, but it's very obvious to anyone, the sun appears very different from the moon in the sky. It shines very differently. And look, if you put up the next slide, the stars. So this is a slide taken from uh, the Hubble Space Telescope, just a portion of the sky. And you know, we really have no idea how many stars there are. They're really, we can't count them. 
But uh, we do know, just analyzing how each star shines, using you know, different scientific techniques, each star shines with its own light. No two are alike. They each have their own glory, as Paul puts it. So going on to verse 42, so also is the resurrection from the dead. The body is sown in corruption, is raised in incorruption. So the earthly body you have now will have some similarity to the resurrected body, but it will be in a completely different condition or state. So when the body is sown in corruption, this really speaks about the poor physical condition one's body in, is in at, when you die. Now, I don't mean to make this sound too depressing, but really our bodies are right now, I mean, they experience a lot of wear and tear over the years. They might be better by disease over the years. And, you know, just as someone who's approaching middle age, I can say that there are a lot of times I realize I, my endurance is lower than it used to be. I'm not able to do some of the things I could do, say, 20 years ago. I have a lot of aches and pains that I did not used to have when I was a kid. And my parents and people older than me keep telling me that it gets worse. So by the time we die, our bodies are in a state of corruption. But when we are raised up, our bodies will be in a state of incorruption. They'll be in perfect condition. And this is something that's really hard to imagine. I mean, as a physical therapist, I work with people's bodies every day, and everyone has something wrong with them somewhere. Even on good days, we know we have limitations, but not so with the resurrected body. Paul goes on to say in verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Sown in dishonor. Another word for dishonor might be shame or disgrace. There's nothing to be proud of in a dead body. But the new body will be glorious. Now, there are times where we might be impressed by um, how someone looks or what someone can do. Perhaps a husband might have a wow moment when he sees how beautiful his wife is. Or perhaps a wife might be impressed by the feat of, a feat of strength that her husband displays. But that's nothing compared to what uh, the resurrected body believers have will be given. The resurrected body that believers have will be capable of so many things that we can really hardly imagine. And the scriptures give a little glimpse of it. We see the Lord Jesus after he was raised, he did some things like disappear instantaneously before people. And we see that um, when his disciples were gathered in a room with the doors locked, he somehow appeared in the room. Now whether he phased through a wall or, or made teleported, I don't know. But he was capable of doing things that he was not doing in his original physical body. 
Verse 43, Paul also says, it is sown in weakness, is raised in power. The human body can sometimes seem very resilient and powerful, and sometimes it can seem very weak and fragile. And I can say, there's nothing more weak or feeble than a dead body. As I mentioned before, um, during my job as I visit people who are aging, I see the physical body continually declining. The outward man, as Paul puts, puts in 2 Corinthians, is outwardly perishing, or as some translations put it, wasting away. Now, you can rep- um, as our bodies break down, you can replace some parts of your body. I know people who might have an arthritic hip or knee, and they get a hip or knee replacement. But the sad thing is, those new replaced parts are never really quite as good as the original. Anytime you try and fix something in the human body, it really is never quite as good as the original. From the time we're born, you could say we're on a slow, gradual decline in death and decay. And the human body, it's kind of sad. Actually, Turks, it's, if it were a machine, the human body would be very inefficient. The human body takes a lot of work to maintain. When you think about it, you maybe um, fill your car out at the gas pump every week or every other week. You have to refuel the human body every day. You have to exercise your body on a regular basis. And while eating healthy and exercising may slow the decline that you see, it doesn't stop it. By the time you reach the end of your life, even though in your youth you may have been a weightlifter who could bench press 300 pounds, or maybe in your youth you were a runner who could run faster than an eight-minute mile, by the time you're on your deathbed, you can't do anything like that. A person on their deathbed may not be able to raise a cup of water to, to their own mouth or even sit up in bed by himself. A dead body can't do anything. But the resurrected bodies believers will have will be raised in power. The resurrected body will be strong, able to do things we couldn't even imagine. Verse 44, Paul says, it is sown a natural body, is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Now, just to be clear, when Paul uses the word spiritual, it doesn't mean um, without substance or immaterial. The new body you'll have, the resurrected body, has what what Paul calls here the spiritual body. It will be just as solid as the body you have right now. Lord Jesus, in his resurrected body, invited Thomas to touch his hands and touch his side. And even though it doesn't say Jesus was hungry, he ate food in front of his disciples. But in terms of what each body is meant and suited for, they're different. The natural body is earthly, it's meant for this earth. The spiritual body is meant for heaven. 
Now, this current body, you can't enjoy heaven with the body you have now. It's just not meant for that environment. It's like you might as well be a tadpole trying to enjoy life on land. You're, yeah, it's not the, not the right body. The body you have now doesn't have the capacity to enjoy heaven. Each body was intended for a different environment, the natural body for this earth and the spiritual body for, the, for heaven. Paul goes on to verse 45, and so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. You could say the first state or condition of man as seen by the first man, Adam, was a living being. We see in Genesis that God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. And but then looking at this first, um, who is this last Adam here? Yeah, this is the Lord Jesus. The last condition of man, as seen by the Lord Jesus, is a life-giving spirit. The Lord Jesus is not only alive, but he's also life-giving. It's through his power that we're given new life, that we're resurrected. Verse 46, Paul makes it very clear. Um, However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterwards the spiritual. The body that's suited for heaven doesn't come first, but your physical earthly body comes first. I'll just finish reading our passage here, verses 47 to 49. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Paul makes a contrast here. There are basically two types of people. Those who are represented by the first man, Adam, and those who are represented by the second man, the Lord Jesus. The first man, Adam, was of the earth, made of dust. Now, as I mentioned before, sometimes it seems like our bodies are very fr fragile and feeble, and it's really no wonder. It says we're made of dust. We're essentially made of dirt. And as Adam, you could say, was our representative or federal head, we have, our we have his characteristics. We're earthly, we're frail, we're weak. As Adam was, so are we. So we who have earthly bodies, really every human being, we're just like Adam. We have bodies that are weak and will fail. Adam lived 930 years, a good long time. But as the Lord said, dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And that will be the end of all of our earthly bodies unless the Lord comes back and takes us up for if we die. The second man mentioned in verse 47, this is once again the Lord Jesus from heaven. 
as a heavenly man is, or as Christ is, that is how we will be. For those of us who have been saved, Christ is now our representative. He's now our federal head. And because of that, we will have his characteristics. We'll have heavenly characteristics. We believers will have bodies like that of the Lord Jesus. Just like we've had earthly bodies like the man of dust, like Adam, we'll have heavenly bodies like the Lord Jesus. So, knowing that I'm going to have a heavenly body, how, will that, how should that affect how I live right now? Now, certainly it should be a comfort and encouragement to us right now. Now, to a lot of you, uh, I may not seem very old, but in a lot of ways, I am feeling older in my body. I turned 39 last month, and like I said, there's a lot of things I realize I can't do anymore. I realize that I heal slower than I used to. I get tired faster, and already, I know it sounds odd, but I think my memory is not as good as it was 20 years ago. And I'm sure many of you who are sitting here have had your own sharp aches and pains and medical conditions that have afflicted your body. But the Lord's going to take away all that when he gives you a new one. And knowing that I'll be resurrected in a perfect body should give me a little boldness for the Lord. I'll give you a little illustration. I'll bet when I was younger, um, I used to play a number of video games. Now, just to give some of you in the audience who haven't played video games a little context, a number of times when you're playing a game, you might have um, multiple lives. So you may be able to die in a game, but then you'll be, you have another chance to finish the game because you have multiple lives. Your character can die a few times, perhaps. But there comes a point where perhaps in the game you only have one more life, and there's a problem. Because if you only have one more life and you die, you lose. So a person who's playing a game where they only have one more life might be inclined to play very cautiously. At least that's how I, that's how I know I played. But now, now, of course, as believers, you know, we shouldn't be reckless with our lives or neglect the earthly bodies we have now. The Lord wants us to be good stewards of the bodies he's given us. But knowing that I have a new body that will be given to me in the future can give me a confidence and assurance in the life I live for the Lord today. Now, there are believers out there in some countries, they daily face the threat of persecution. They may face the threat of being killed for their faith in the Lord. Now, we don't live in such an environment like that here in the U.S. with that kind of persecution. But even if I did face the threat of death for having a testimony for the Lord, you know, what's the worst that could happen to me? Well, if I'm killed for my testimony for the Lord, the worst that could happen is I die and I'm, I'm given a new body. 
One more question I have for you today. What are you sowing in this life? Let's go back to that, uh, what Paul was saying in the first part of this passage, going back to that agricultural illustration. Where are you sowing in your life? What are you doing with your life? Because it will affect what you have in heaven. Now, of course, in heaven, everyone will be joyful with the Lord. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow. You know, everyone will be happy in heaven. But there will be different degrees to which we are rewarded by the Lord, rewarded by the Lord in heaven, depending on how we've lived for him. Now, Scripture doesn't go into too much detail on what exactly those rewards will be. We can gather some hints from some parables that will be given service for the Lord to do in heaven, that will be given authority from the Lord. I said, let's go back to that seed. Let's go back to that seed analogy for a moment that Paul used in First Corinthians fifteen thirty-seven to thirty-eight. And what you sow, you not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Now, God will cause a certain kind of plant to sprout up from a physical seed in the ground, depending on what seed is sown. As we looked at earlier in the passage, a wheat grain will cause a stalk of wheat to come up. Uh, Sweet gum tree seed will cause a sweet gum tree seed, gum tree to grow, and a sequoia seed will cause a sequoia tree to grow. It's a very simple principle. You reap what you sow. And spiritually, this is true as well. What we sow in this life, while in our earthly bodies, will affect our condition in the future, what we reap for eternity. In Galatians 6, uh, this is verse 7 to 8. Paul says, For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. If I apply the principle of God giving a plant a body based on what seed is sown into the ground, then the resurrected body I'm going to have in times to come is affected by what I do in this life for the Lord what I'm sowing with my current body. Now, like I said, we will all be happy in heaven, but it could be that in heaven we may have different capacity for enjoying heaven. So, looking at how I'm, what I'm doing with my current life, my current body, am I spending time with the Lord? Am I spending time serving Him? seeking to please them with my current body. Oh. Inclusion. Now, praise the Lord, he's risen. And because he's risen, we'll also be raised up one day in spiritual bodies. That'll be wonderfully different from what we have now. And having this assurance of a new body should really encourage us 
and embolden us in living for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you so much for dying for us. And thank you so much for Lord, rising from the dead and giving us assurance of salvation. Thank you also for the promise of a new body in the future. Pray, Lord, you'd help us in living for you these days to come. In your name.